Have you got young adults in the house? Has there been an expression of interest about role-playing? How can you give them their first experience of the game? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello and welcome to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost role-playing games hobby. Today I want to revisit the topic of gaming with teenagers. It's very much a conversation aimed at adults, so I'd like to apologise upfront to any actual young adults listening to the podcast because A, I might be wrong, so please don't be offended, and B, I'm going to be talking about so-called teenagers in very general terms, but none of us are general people and there is no such thing as average Those caveats aside, this all comes from my experience in setting up and running RPG gaming clubs across three UK secondary schools, aka high schools, and working with teens aged 11 to 18. This is Season 11, Episode 23, Gaming with Teens. As a school teacher working with 11 to 18 year old students, I've learned a thing or two about introducing teenagers to the role playing games hobby. And the first thing I've learned is never to refer to teenagers as teenagers or teens. The term I'm going to adopt is young adult because that's how young people generally prefer to view themselves. I know that because I've never stopped feeling that way myself, and I bet you didn't either. In one of my early pre-teaching career incarnations, namely working for Games Workshop, I ran a hobby store which hosted tabletop wargaming sessions every week. Those days taught me buckets about how to approach a variety of people. I was still pretty young myself, an astonishingly naive 23-year-old when I started, and I worked with staff who were generally younger than me. Customers included a majority of people aged 10 through to their early 20s. Later on, working at Games Workshop's HQ in Nottingham, I took the lead in developing tools to help create gaming clubs aimed at young adults. I was working with school teachers to set up clubs in places of learning. I was working with the library service to encourage clubs on their turf. And I was working with a myriad of privately run hobby clubs all over the UK. By the time the GW accountants pulled the plug on our project, there were 10 staff supporting hundreds of clubs all over the UK. When you add my 12 years in teaching, creating clubs in three very different schools, I think it's fair to say that I have a positive track record in gaming with young adults. Through my blog, I've written in the past about setting up a gaming club in a school, and I later added some ideas inspired by my experiences with D&D 5e, and even later, I updated that advice again. So, yeah, a lot of what I have to say is drawn from those articles and further updated here. Suffice it to say that I've worked with a lot of young adults and helped many get into the role-playing games hobby. Some of them have even stuck around. More recently, as I entered my latest school in September 2022, I've set up a club I've named the Dungeons & Dragons Club. At the time of recording, we have 17 young adults aged 11 to 14 attending and most of them, 14 in total, are new to the hobby. Even the experienced gamers are not actually very experienced and when we began there were zero GMs amongst them. 
Session one was 13 young adults and me as the GM. I ran a quick-fire taster game using the 1981 D&D basic rules. Because sessions were extremely short, just one hour at present, due to restrictions placed by the school, the games have had to be quick-fire and high-paced. This makes them an absolute blast to play in, and it's also helped me to refine my previous advice a little bit further. Let's dive in. Here's my top 10 tips on gaming with young adults. Number one, treat teens like adults. I've always approached teenagers like they were adults. To be more precise, I've dealt with young adults as peers. When I was first going to secondary school, aka high school if you're an American, I disliked it when adults treated me like a child. In fact, I generally disliked the way in which every adult around me thought that they knew better and that I was basically an idiot. And when I think about it, that dislike has never gone away. I pretty much always hated smug adults who thought they knew best. And I hate it when I realise that I've turned into a smug adult, usually in the classroom when someone else is behaving like a child. Thus, I much prefer to treat young people as young adults. When I joined the Regia Anglorum, that's a Saxon and Viking reenactment society in the UK, back as a teen... I met a bunch of guys in their 30s, 40s and 50s who treated me like a peer. They didn't talk down to me, they didn't patronise me and they expected me to learn the skills I needed to take an effective role in the society. In the same way, I've learned to teach new gamers in the same spirit. Treat them as peers. I assume that an interested gamer is capable of learning the game. I don't prepare watered-down scenarios or simplistic adventures aimed at children. I create the genuine gaming experience that I would want any adult gamer to take part in, and if they want them, I give them the full rules of the game. Certainly, I'm mindful to avoid the themes I know some adults would find distasteful. That's no different than simply respecting a person you don't know very well. But what I don't do is avoid those themes because I'm dealing with a so-called child. Here's the nub. Treat the young adult at your gaming table in the same way you would like to have been treated when you started gaming, as an adult with respect and with patience. And that's why I prefer to talk about young people as young adults. Everyone aspires to be treated as a peer. Number two, remember that people are mirrors. I don't quite know when or where I picked up this belief. It probably arose from my general interest in psychology and general observations of the world around me but hey it certainly works in practice people are mirrors what i mean is that whatever energy you project out into the world tends to get reflected back at you when it hits other people are you angry get angry with people around you and they will get angry right back go in positive your form are likely to get a positive response in return want them to accept you trust you and respect you well you get the idea Certainly there are plenty of people whose mirror is tarnished and for some, the mirror is totally caked in crap. You know the type, people who seem to have toughened themselves against the harsh experience of life that they prefer to hide underneath. And that can happen even to a young adult. Positive psychology guru Andy Cope calls these people mood hoovers. It's an apt title. They suck all the joy out of everyone else. But most people aren't mood hoovers all of the time. People are mirrors. Younger people are people too. As I understand it, the fact of the massive hormonal changes going on in the adolescent body means that emotionally, these young adults feel emotions both more intensely and more acutely than older adults. And they change mood quicker too. We've forgotten about this as we get older, so in a lot of ways, people in adolescence are more sensitive to the emotions of others. 
Given that it's impossible for humans not to affect other human beings, even when we try to do nothing, we have an important point to consider. In short, whatever energy you put out there is going to be reflected back. I want to develop this thought further in a moment, but take a moment to consider the truth of this. I suspect the parents out there know what I'm talking about. If you go in hard and aggressive, you'll probably get a pretty hard and defensive reaction. And if you go in gentle, you might not get heard because what's being reflected back is not strong enough to register. I'd recommend bringing high energy in a positive manner. Adolescents are, by nature, intense humans. They're never more creative than between the onset of puberty and around 30 years of age. They are taking more risks than older adults. Their emotions are brighter and higher volume. Everything looks, feels, smells, tastes and sounds more intense to a young adult. Thus, to break into their space, you need to be loud, proud, positive and energetic. Shine yourself onto their shiny mirror, clear lives, and they're going to respond with whatever you give them. 3. First time, make it a pick-up game. The first time I game with a new group of people, I remember that I may just get one chance to hook them. The first game has to be a pick-up, one-shot, short game. This has made it easy for me because being a school teacher, I'm lucky to get much more than an hour at the table each week. And if you can't intro someone into the hobby inside one hour, I think you're doing it wrong. Yes, I know this is a hobby that absorbs more time than that each sitting. I know the average game session is four hours. I know all of that. But you need to do the first game in an efficient, energetic style. It has to be a one-shot. Honestly, I'd approach it in one of two ways. If you've got a young person who wants to try the games they know I play, and this is my usual situation, then I run them through a game that I both enjoy playing and know how to play. If it's a totally cold intro, then I run something super light and very generic. Fantasy works for this. It's the most popular genre in gaming, and I think a lot of that is because the tropes of Dungeons & Dragons have filtered down through all popular culture enough to mean that most people know what you mean when you say words like elf or dragon or magic sword. First time, make it a pickup game. You get one hour. Make it count. Four. Give them what they need. Any new player needs to have the equipment required to play. Young adults, even given the outrageous amounts of pocket money they might receive and the high value of their phones, they won't prioritise this stuff. To be fair, many new older adult gamers don't either. When I start a new player in my group, I give them a set of dice. I give them a character sheet, preferably one-sided and minimalist. I lend them a pencil and an eraser. I allow them access at the table to rule books I own, or at least I show them the books so they know what's what, but I tell them what they need to know. I work to avoid anyone needing to look anything up that isn't on the character sheet or on my own quick reference sheet. What a new player needs is dice, pencil and a character sheet or a piece of paper. Give them those things. Honestly, despite the many times I've provided a copy of the basic rules to D&D 5e or similar, a player does not need a rulebook. Only once they gravitate to long-term play might they get curious enough to read one, but just like with adults, a lot of players don't ever desire to read the books. GMs read books. That said, I like to keep basic rules booklets around for the occasional gamer who immediately shows GM potential. There will be roughly one in ten for this... I begin by printing off things like the D&D basic rules as a saddle-stitched A5 booklet, but then I always did like to be prepared. 
More recently, due to the generosity of the Roleplay Rescue patrons, I am able to afford D&D starter sets which give aspiring GMs and curious players access to more than just rules. There's more dice maps and other widgets in the box. And I've also started giving away other games such as Basic Fantasy RPG along with a module or adventure anthology. It gives someone a game to run but also communicates that this is a more diverse hobby than just being about D&D. Give them the information they need to play. For example, in a past BX D&D game, I started by giving them a set of polyhedral dice and a character sheet. One of the cute items I found in a local shop was a set of three D6 erasers, so I got the new players to roll up their attributes with those. Roll 3D6 in order six times. We added the two hit numbers, they chose a class, and we added the saving throw numbers, and they rolled for some cash. They bought a weapon and armor, and they chose an equipment pack. Magic users and elves, they could choose their first spell or roll on the table, but then basically we played less than 15 minutes bam easy i've noticed that given a set of dice the new player always feels like they joined your group it's like a membership badge add the chance to make their own character and they engage quickly even if they die in the first scene the sense of belonging that comes from owning dice and knowing how to make a hero is enough they're ready to play and yes you did hear that right i encourage new players to make a character I stopped using pre-gens a while ago because a huge part of role-playing games is creating your own first character and I don't want to rob people of that joy. If your rule system for introducing players can't generate a character inside 15 to 20 minutes, it's the wrong game to intro with. There, I've kind of said it again. I think there's a later tip related to that too. But anyway, give them what they need. 5. Introduce role-playing before rules. Role-playing games are about decisions. The basic structure of the RPG is, as the angry GM puts it, the DM presents a situation, the players imagine their characters in that situation and decide how the character acts in response, and then the DM determines the outcome and describes the results, creating a new situation. Thus, the primary role of the player is to decide how their character acts in the situation presented by the DM. Thus, decisions the new player the first thing to do is give them a character honestly as much as i have had success with pregens i recommend allowing the new player to create their own quickly once they have a character drop them into the action give them a situation that's interesting describe it in brief but colorful terms and ask them what do you want to do that sounds simple enough but i'd make sure it's a nice clear situation My favourite introductory game is a fantasy goblin hunt simply because in modern culture everyone knows what goblins are and that heroes are supposed to vanquish them. And if it's not a fantasy, I go for a nice clear-cut confrontation scene. Military SF, modern cops and terrorists, kaiju versus mecha or whatever. Once they're in the situation, get them to focus on what their character will do, what the actions are. I tell them to ignore the sheet, not to look at that stuff at all, but to simply imagine the scene and decide. What do you do? In fact, in a recent game, we didn't even start with sheets at all. I just asked them to imagine that we were villagers hunting goblins, told me what they grabbed on the way out of the house, their village, Uh, they have one thing in each hand, and then off we went to play, and we kind of added in the numbers as we needed them. Once the player chooses an action, adjudicate it. The rules come into play, but don't feel you need to explain what you're doing unless someone asks. And then just briefly outline what you're doing as you go. Keep the rules stuff brief. Focus on the role-playing, i.e. the decision-making as a character. And make sure the situation unfolds fairly. Do not get hung up on anything other than helping each player to make decisions in the role of their character. 
no acting is required, there's a situation, what do you want to do? Oh, and that's how that's turning out. They will feel like a peer. They have dice and a character, they've learned to roleplay, make choices in the game, and win or lose, they are now a gamer. Invite them back, encourage them to be clever and cunning, ask questions to help them figure out solutions, avoid telling them how to solve the problems, emphasise the importance of teamwork. The rest, as they say, comes naturally, like it did for us when we first started playing. Just go with it. 6. Give them clear structure. People like structure. Young people will tell you they hate rules and boundaries, but that's not really true. They want to have a say in their behavioural rules, certainly, but more people starting in any new activity will appreciate a clear structure. For this reason, I'm going to stick my neck out and suggest you play a class and level type RPG with newbies. If you really can't stomach that, you must provide some sort of pre-generated archetype to reduce the decision-making for the new person. Thus, in games like Savage Worlds or GURPS, in games with no class and level structure, you're best off offering some templates and allowing a few small tweaks, or choose a game with a nice random table character creation approach. Whatever works for you, but is easy and well-structured. Choices between a few things works best. I'd recommend no more than five choices. Which archetype or class? Which race or species? Do you want to be tough and strong or fast and dexterous? Are you smart or wise? Did you get along well with others or are you a bit more socially challenged? You might get away with adding a choice of weapons or armour, sword, axe, bow, spear or mace. Do you carry a shield? Done. People struggle with unlimited choice. They flounder. Once they get the basics of play, have a few sessions under their belt and feel confident, well, that's when they'll push those boundaries and discover that perhaps for the first time in their lives, there is room for their natural expansion. Because role-playing games are infinitely expandable, new gamers quickly discover that there are more options and they'll want to try them. Let them when they're ready. In the beginning, give them a clear structure. That's why procedural methods such as dungeon crawls and hex crawls make for great starting games. 7. Don't set table rules. Agree some table manners. Setting rules at the table puts the GM in a position of authority and this can be counterproductive. While new players can easily understand that the GM is arbitrator, the game is far better for all when the players feel that everyone's voice at the table is equal. Add in the general dislike that young adults have for older people telling them how to behave and you're on dangerous territory. Have the players agree to a code of conduct at the table. Ask questions to help them create that code of conduct. I start with, what would you say are the top three rules for showing respect at the table? This is a stronger approach because it reflects the earlier advice on treating people as adults. The group will become governed by the group as peers instead of bowing to an authority. Agree the table manners, the house rules of behaviour, together. Be brief at session one. If they play more, then each time a problem arises, simply ask, I noticed that X keeps happening. What can we do to stop that from interrupting the game? Listen and adopt the group's decision. I find this quite hard. I am an authoritarian by nature, but that is actually counterproductive. Don't set table rules. Agree some table manners. Eight, refrain from teacher mode. Adult GMs will default to parent or guardian mode when playing with younger people. Inexperience leads to some frankly stupid decisions and even pretty silly behaviour. This feels frustrating at times. Some GMs will feel the need to admonish the players for what they deem as inappropriate actions or unheroic motivations for their characters. Telling a young person something is bad, wrong or inappropriate will have somewhat limited positive effect. Remember, 
people in mirrors. You are far better using some different strategies. Yes, okay, but have you considered... What do you think might happen if you do that? What are you aiming to achieve here? I like to understand where my players are coming from. Be generous enough to present possible ramifications and consequences for actions. Present these possibilities to the whole table. Allow the player's peers to guide them into the course of action that might lead to the best outcome. Allow them space to screw it up though, as everyone learns by making mistakes. In fact, I believe that mistakes are to be encouraged. If you're running a game that can handle a new character inside 15 minutes, then character death is an amusing but easily fixed problem. In my experience, teaching organically works better. People learn best from experience. The role-playing table is a safe space to try out strategies and take huge risks. And actually, I believe gaming helps young people learn to estimate risk and learn the consequences for recklessness without actually dying. This not only works because the player has time to reflect on their choices without feeling personally challenged, but also because it is peer-guided. The young person absorbs the concepts much more willingly. Number nine, be generous. This is perhaps just me, but I think we adults should give our young protégés the things we most value ourselves. Pass to the next generation the things that we think are useful, but also the things that we personally value. I give copies of rule books and complete starter sets to budding GMs. I give die sets away, as I've already mentioned. I give away vintage copies of a classic game to new players who express an interest. I give them stuff with no expectation that they do anything with them either, because I'll ask them if they intend to run a game, but I don't insist on it. I don't badger them. Once given, it's up to the new player or aspirant GM if they take the plunge. Give without expecting to receive anything in return, even them turning up to run a game. Be generous with your hobby. Be generous also with the other stuff that comes with the hobby. I mean, share your music, share film recommendations, talk about TV series and novels you love. Not forcefully, not in a nagging kind of manner, but just be natural. If it comes up in conversation, share it. Put it out there. If they are interested, let them run off and enjoy it. I find that people love it when someone shares something of themselves. Be generous with who you are. And yes, it's okay to share anecdotes from the deep past. Just keep them brief and amusing. 10. Play how you like to play. Bringing this full circle, once someone has been introduced to the whole role-playing thing, then it's good to shift towards the games you enjoy playing. Be open about alternatives, bearing in mind the need for speed and intensity in a one-hour session. I find young adults to be curious and open to a range of experiences. I turn up with games I want to try out. I also run games using my own prototype game rules. And I turn up with games from other genres and well-known intellectual properties, such as when I ran the Star Trek game during the initial playtest by Nomodiphius a few years back. Play how you like to play. Talk about your preferences. Help them to explore their own preferences. And if someone asks about something, try to point them to stuff you know is good quality. Be honest and help these new gamers to find their personal niche. So that's it. 10 tips for gaming with young adults. I hope it has some value to someone. Before I go, however, a couple of things that I've heard said but don't buy into. I've been told that teens today are not into OSR-style play. Well, I think that's a load of crap. I think people are mirrors. I think they'll be interested in whatever version of the hobby you present to them because they don't know any better. 
If you hate OSR, they'll learn to hate it too, until they find someone who loves it and then they escape your narrow view of the hobby. And by the way, we'll have a narrow view of the hobby. The way I see it, just play what you like with them. Drop the labels. It's all role-playing. There is no bad, wrong fun. I've had new teen gamers play everything. D&D 5e, yes, BX D&D. Castles and Crusades, RuneQuest, Mithras Classic Fantasy, GURPS, Imagine Role-Playing, Rollmaster, Savage Worlds, Cairn. There simply is no limit. People are into playing games with people they like or look up to. Young people are people like anyone else. They have their own tastes, but initially they are showing a willingness to enter your world. It's counterproductive to present your personal view of gaming as the one true way. Just play. Show them how cool it can be. Play. Go and read the stuff about the types of players if you want, but I've never found that I fit those categories personally. I doubt anyone does. They are useful tools up to a point, and they never take into account the fact that people are constantly changing beings. I mean, we're not one thing. We are ever shifting and altering. We are evolving and learning, and that's to be celebrated. Game on. As you know, I love to hear from you. So if you've got a question or comment, please hop over to speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue where you can leave a 90-second message or, if you prefer, just open up a voice memo app on your device, record what you want to say or ask and email it directly to me via hello at rpgrescue.com. All the links and stuff for that are in the show notes. Let's hear what people have to say this week. Hi, Jay. Simon Williams here. I've just been listening to your episode, Uncomfortably Old School, and I agree wholeheartedly with your points. Um, and I, I kind of feel the same way myself. Um, I do consider myself old school because I played in the 1980s. But because I didn't play D&D back then, I, I probably don't have some of the same sensibilities. You know, I, I was playing uh, D100-based games, often which were skill-based, so Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, for example. Um, and I think there's, there's plenty of other old-school games that have uh, which are skill-based um gurps being one as you mentioned but also call of cthulhu RuneQuest, and i think it's easy to forget that you know old school isn't just dnd um and i think there's nothing wrong with blending some of the good things out of modern gaming styles with you know old school gaming as well and i think sometimes people get hung up on you know being one or the other and just it's just relax and just you know, play the game they want to play and play in the manner they want to play. As long as they've got a table around them who are players who, who, who also want to play in those styles, then what does it matter? What does the label matter? Anyway, um, really enjoyed the show. Um, keep up the great work and um, hope to speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Hey, Jay. Jason here. Just listened to 1116. Great episode. I, I guess the other thing, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I, I know this is something you bumped up against. You have to know what your players are interested in, but you also have to run a world and a game you're interested in. Because if you're just trying to run games the players are, want to play and not play the games that you want to run, you're going to be miserable. And, and I think you've run into that yourself a couple times. So I think that's a really important flag, the GM, the potential GM and wannabe GMs and you know people starting out in this really or coming back to this really need to be aware of that they're not going to be satisfied if they're running something they're not happy running. So I think that's huge. Anyhow, keep up the great work, and I'll talk to you soon. Jay, Evil Jeff. Just finished up your choosing science fiction, modern worlds, 
episode, the latest episode you put out. Uh, I really appreciate that. I like that. Uh, Alternity was a great system when you ran it for us, and I've actually run it for uh, one of the groups that I was in. Uh, the world is definitely something great to explore. The one that you were talking about, okay, yeah, um, I, I guess I have to learn more about it. Um, also, Mage. Mage is one of the few World of Darkness ones that I felt I could sink my teeth into. The werewolf and vampire worlds, I was like, eh. I just, I, I'm not so much of a, give me, oh, I only play these rule sets. I'm more of a, if you can give me a, a, or show me how I can envision a character in a world, then I don't care what rule set it is. Because I'm not playing the rule set. I'm playing a character in the world, and the rule set helps implement that, which sometimes there's limitations. Anyway, uh... Yeah, I might have to pick your brain a little bit on Mage a little bit more, because my understanding of it is lacking just a wee bit. Great to hear from you. We'll see you soon. Here, just finished listening to the early access of Ron Ogden interview. Fantastic interview. Uh, Such an infectious guy. Uh, And uh, great, great topic. Very interesting. I love these interviews that you've been doing. And uh, I just wanted you to know that and keep up the great work. All right. Game on, brother. Game on indeed, brother Weeb. Massive thanks to all the callers, to Simon from Legend of the Bones, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, to Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings, and to Weeb. Thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue and to John from Tale of the Manticore for the show music. Big thanks to you for listening and I hope you'll join us again next time. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on.